0: We just want to give a few moments so everyone can get situated. In the meantime, let me say happy Sabbath to everyone. Happy Sabbath. I pray that you are not bearing a false witness and that you are, in fact, having a happy Sabbath. Amen. Anytime God's people get to come together to hear truth as it is in Jesus in sweet Christian fellowship, that's a happy Sabbath. And I'm very thankful to be with you all. And I know that there's many things that God wants to share with us. And that's why I always tell you that you want to pray. Pray for yourselves. Lord, please prepare my heart to receive that which you have. I promise you, God has a message. That's not the issue. But even Jesus said, let them who have ears to hear, hear. So that means that I need to pray, Lord, give me ears that I can hear because we're going to find that there are many who have ears but cannot hear. Many who have eyes but cannot see. And God wants us to have ears that we may hear, eyes that we can see, and that we may know what to do to prepare to meet our God. Last night we saw very clearly from the Word of God, we saw through just some simple little events. I had much more to show you. But just from the simple few things, we could see truly that time is almost finished. Can you say amen to that? And God wants us to understand that. You know, even Jesus, when he preached the gospel, if you're a Christian, especially if you're a Christian minister or evangelist or teacher of any kind, we know that no one could preach or teach the gospel better than Jesus. Amen? No one could do it. But when you read Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, it shows us how Jesus preached the gospel. So I believe if we want to follow in the footsteps of the master, we should do what he did. And I want you to turn your Bibles to the book of Mark chapter 1, and I want you to see what it says in verses 14 and 15. In Mark 1, verses 14 and 15, the Bible simply says this, Father, may you add a blessing to the reading of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. The Bible says in verse 14, now... After that John was put in prison Jesus came into Galilee Preaching what? It says the gospel of the kingdom of God And saying the what? Time is fulfilled And the kingdom of God is at hand Repent ye and believe the gospel Jesus preached the gospel Based on time There was something that Jesus understood You see Brothers and sisters, I believe this with all my heart. Seventh-day Adventists, our issue is not so much that we have not been exposed to a lot of truth. In other words, we've been exposed to a lot. I've, I've done my studies on Advent hope especially, and you all have learned much present truth, much. But the problem is, is that many of God's people have this tomorrow mentality. We learn truth as it is in Jesus. We learn we can experience victory over sin through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We learn all sorts of wonderful doctrinal truths. But at the end of the day, when it comes time to implement these truths in our daily lives, we say tomorrow. Tomorrow I'll do it. When I'm finished accomplishing my goals, when I'm finished accomplishing my objectives, tomorrow, then I'll take this thing real serious. What we don't understand is that time is almost finished. And that's why even Jesus, when he came, not only was his people blind to understanding certain truths for the time, but there were many who understood the truths, but they were lazy. And when he pointed out that time was almost finished, brothers and sisters, it gave that other element that we need, which is, you know what? a sense of urgency to stop putting off tomorrow that which God has called us to do today. And so my hope and my prayer is that we will sense the urgency to say, Lord, everything that you've taught me, everything that I know and that I understand about the Bible and the spirit of prophecy and truth for this time, Lord help me to finally cooperate with you. And not let it just simply be a song, but let it be literally the dictate of my life. All to Jesus, I surrender. And so I come not to give you new information. There are plenty of other more talented speakers that you can invite here that will give you that. I am not talented in that respect. I believe the gift God has given me simply is to say, brothers and sisters, take what you know and put it into action now. Because time is almost finished. And so we're going to go into this message this morning. We're going to hear the Lord speak to our hearts. And I pray that we will recognize like never before what I must do. I must do it quickly. Now, I know that we're very crowded in here, but if you're able to, I'm going to invite you to kneel with me. If you cannot kneel, then you reverently bow your heads where you are. But if you are able to, I'm going to invite you to kneel with me as we approach God's throne in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you for the opportunity to hear from heaven. We thank you for the sweet Holy Sabbath day of rest. And Father, we come because our hearts are hungering and thirsting after righteousness. There is more about Jesus that we would learn. And Lord, this morning we are asking for first the forgiveness of our sins. Please, may you cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And, Father, we're praying for the outpouring of your Holy Spirit, that he may develop us and mold our minds and fashion us and lift us in a holy atmosphere where the rich current of your love can flow through our souls. Speak to our hearts this morning, Lord. May you take all of our lives and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Father, this is our prayer that we ask. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, brothers and sisters, to be like Jesus, that should be our song, both in the home as well as in the throng. Amen. And one thing that we will find is that if a person is going to be like Jesus, then he should work like Jesus. If an individual is going to be like Jesus, she should work like Jesus. And I want to introduce you to the mindset of Jesus when he came on this earth. I want you to notice what the Bible says in John chapter 4. In John, the fourth chapter, we are introduced to the mind of Jesus Christ as he worked. There's a great world that is dying in sin every day. There are churches that constitute what the Bible calls Babylon that unfortunately are causing individuals to be drunk with its wine. And being uh, brought forth into a realm of confusion. Even in God's remnant church, there are those who have taken their eyes off of Christ in that most holy place and no longer understand him or his work. And therefore, they are distracted everywhere around us. We can see individuals who are unfit and unprepared for the second coming of Jesus Christ. yea, for the final crisis. And God is trying to help us see that soon and very soon all things are going to take place and unfold and take the majority of the people in this world and in the church as an overwhelming surprise. And God in love and mercy, brothers and sisters, is holding back those winds. God in love and mercy is holding it back because he knows that there are people even here today that once they hear the voice of the shepherd as faithful sheep, they will follow him. As long as God sees that there are individuals that will still respond to his voice, he will hold back those winds. But brothers and sisters, I promise you, he won't be holding them back for much longer. As I'm traveling all throughout the world, I'm seeing that people are responding to the gospel. I am seeing that people are willing to die for this truth. And you know what? The only people who will live for Jesus, or rather the only people who will die for Jesus, are first those who have learned to live for him. And therefore, when we look all around us and we see this tremendous amount of lack of preparation, both in the world and in the churches, it gives us a sense of urgency to do our work as Jesus did it. And the Bible shows us what was on Jesus' mind when he did his work, John, the fourth chapter. In John chapter 4, you remember that Jesus came and met with a woman at the well. And when Jesus was ministering to this woman at the well he began to reveal himself to her as the Messiah, the one that she claimed they were looking for. And when she ran off to tell others about the contact that she had with a real man, you remember she was with a bunch of other boys. But when she came in contact with a real man, she said, Oh, no, I got to tell everybody about this man. And as she went, the disciples in compassion and love came to Jesus. And it says in verse 31 of John 4, and if you're there, say amen. Amen. It says in verse 31, in the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him saying, Master, eat. They were looking at Jesus and they were thinking to themselves, Master, you've been working so hard. Brothers and sisters, Jesus was not a lazy man. Jesus was a hard worker. Jesus was not the kind of man that had clock in, clock out hours. Jesus was one who understood when souls are in need, here I am. And they got to the point that they're looking at Jesus and they see him working and laboring so hard that they said, he hasn't even eaten yet. Master, eat! But I want you to look at what Jesus says in the next verse. It says in verse 32, But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. The disciples, of course, missing the point as they usually did. In verse 33, it says, Therefore said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him all to eat? Who fed him? But then Jesus says something so beautiful in verse 34. He says in verse 34, Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Jesus was so consumed with finishing the work that he literally equated his work to his necessary day-to-day sustenance, food. He said, My food is to do my Father's will and to finish the work, not maintain the work. Certainly not to slow down the work, but he says, my meat, my food, my sustenance is to finish the work. Brothers and sisters, is that your meat? When you wake up every day, Do you go to your job just to clock an hour so you can look forward in one to two weeks or in the month to get a paycheck? Or do you go to your job understanding, praise God, another opportunity to finish the work? When you get up to conduct your business transactions and do all the great things that you may have done in the success of whatever your business or whatever else it may be, do you go there just simply so that you can do ABC transactions? Or do you wake up saying, praise God, another day to finish the work with those I come in contact with? I'm trying to introduce to you the mind of Jesus. In everything that he did, his focus was to finish the work. And do you know what happens when you're focused like that? You know what happens when an individual is so focused on finishing the work that it does not matter if it's the common labor of life. It does not matter if it's the day-to-day duties. It doesn't even matter if it's the average chores that we do in the home. Everything is done under the banner of the mindset that in my doing these things, whether common or otherwise, it is focused on how does this better help me finish the work. You know what happens when you have a mind like that? You will not just work as Jesus worked. You'll be able to say what Jesus said. Notice what Jesus said in John 17. The Bible says in John the 17th chapter, Jesus says, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish the work. And now I want you to see what Jesus was able to say as he was approaching the close of his ministry. The Bible says in John the 17th chapter, notice what it says now in verses 3 and 4. The Bible says in John 17, verse 3, And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Verse 4, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Jesus was able to give a report to his Father and say, The work you told me to do, I have done it. If you and I can have the mind of Jesus to understand that everything, every day that God extends your probation, God has done it so that you and I can better understand how can I take this next few hours within this day to better finish the work. When that becomes our focus, it will literally conduct how we deal with people. You'll find yourself not cussing and swearing as much anymore. You will find yourself not being tempted as strongly to go ahead and be dishonest, even in the midst of a business transaction. You will find yourself that when you talk to people, even when they're ungodly, you will look at them and say, this is a soul that Jesus died for. There's a crisis that's coming. This soul is going to be one of those that will be swept away. You know what? Before I retaliate in the flesh, please, Lord, give me the mind of Jesus, that I will respond that is winsome. Everything changes when you understand that God gave me this day so that I could finish the work. When that mindset is now your mindset, then, brothers and sisters, a time will come that we can, be, we can go to God and we can say, I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. I have done what you told me to do. And you know what's so powerful? Jesus, right before he was about to die in John 17, he said very clearly, he said, I have glorified thee on the earth, I have finished the work. I've done what you told me to do. And that's why it's not, it's not ironic that in John 19:30, notice what Jesus said as the very last words that come out of his mouth. John, the 19th chapter, and the 30th verse. The Bible says in John 19 and verse 30, notice what the Bible says. The Bible says in John 19 and verse 30, it says, when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, He said what? It is finished. And he laid down his head. In that first phase of Christ's ministry, to be the fulfillment of that lamb that was going to be slain, Jesus went through and finished that work. Now, brothers and sisters, there was something necessary... In order for Jesus to finish the work the way he did it. And I want you to see how the Bible spells it out in Hebrews chapter 10. In Hebrews the 10th chapter, there was something very special about the way in which Christ was going to approach finishing this work. Jesus knew that there's a work that he had to do as it related to his ministry on earth. We know that his ministry continued in heaven. Great controversy, page 489, tells us that at the cross, Christ began... His work of which when he entered into the heavenly sanctuary, he went there to complete it in heaven. So when Jesus was talking about the it is finished, it was not talking about the plan of salvation. It was talking specifically about him being that lamb that was going to die the same way that lamb would have to die in the outer court. And therefore, the ceremonial and sacrificial system was now over. And that's why when he died and said it is finished, the next thing the Bible says is the veil of the temple was torn in half. There was something necessary to take place so that Jesus could have done this work. And it says in Hebrews, the 10th chapter, and if you're there, please say amen. Amen. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 5, it says, wherefore, when he cometh into the world, talking about Jesus, he saith, sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not but a what? A body hath thou prepared me. In order for Jesus to have done this work, it was necessary that a body would be prepared for him. Now, you know what I found to be powerful about this? Go to Hebrews chapter 2. You see, Jesus wanted us to understand that, like last night, we saw that God's people must keep his commandments. But Jesus knew there's no way they can without me, but they can with me. And therefore, the Bible says that sacrifice and offerings, no, that's not what you prepared, but a body have you prepared for me. Now, one of the reasons why Jesus had to come in the body is notice what it says in Hebrews chapter 2. In Hebrews, the second chapter, I want you to notice what the Bible says as we look at verse 16. It says, For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham, wherefore all things it behooved him. It what? It behooved him to be made like unto his brethren that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. Now, brothers and sisters, when I first looked up the word behooved, I thought probably what some of you might have thought. I thought the word behooved meant it moved him. In other words, there was some kind of emotional stimulus that came into the mind of Jesus where he felt like, I love them so much, it behooves me to be made like unto them. But, brothers and sisters, I challenge any of you, look up that word behooved. And you will find that the word behooved does not mean that it just moved him with some type of emotional stimulus. You know what the word behoove means? The word behoove means it was a must, it was a necessity. It was an absolute imperative. So in other words, look back at verse 16 again now. The Bible says, for verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham, wherefore in all things it was a must. It was a must. It was a necessity. It was an absolute imperative that he would be made like unto his brethren, that so that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. It was a must that Jesus came. And it wasn't a must because something bad would happen to him. It was a must because love moved him. It was imperative because he knew there's no way they can have victory without me. Therefore, I'm willing to come down and be like them and take on their nature even after the fall. So that I can show them that as I was faithful, you can be too. That as I overcame, Revelation 3.21 you may overcome. And therefore, the Bible says that he came, and a body had to be prepared for him. Now, the reason why this is interesting is because I want you to see the connection. For Jesus to finish the work, a body had to be prepared for him. Is that right? Now, brothers and sisters, question, did the work continue after Jesus went into the heavenly sanctuary? Did another phase of the work continue? Yes, it did. And Jesus, since 1844, he made another move. Where did he go? In the most holy place. And when he went to the most holy place, what's he seeking to do? He wants to finish the work. Now, here's the thing. When Jesus came to the earth, he finished his work, and a body had to be prepared for him. But now Jesus has ascended back up into the heavenly sanctuary, and therefore there's still a work that needs to be finished. And in order for this work to be finished, once again, a body has to be prepared for him. Go to the book of Ephesians chapter 5. In order for the work of the gospel to be finished in this world after Christ has ascended into the heavenly sanctuary, brothers and sisters, Jesus once again needs a body. And notice how the Bible articulates this in Ephesians, the fifth chapter. And I'm so grateful that God always shows the indissoluble link between the marriage covenant and the relationship between him and his church. Earthly relationships to teach us heavenly principles. Notice what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5. And when you get there, say amen. amen. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5, notice what it says in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. So notice, he starts with the husband and wife, but in the finishing of the verse, he now transitions to Christ and the church. So the focus is now Christ and the church. Notice now what he says about Christ and the church in verse 26. In verse 26, he says, "...that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church." A glorious what? Church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Jesus said that I want to have a church on earth that I can help them to become without spot or without wrinkle. And when you look at Colossians 1 and verse 18, the church is called a body. Jesus knows that in order for me to come, in order for the work to be finished, I must have a body of people, a body of believers that I can work in and work through to reveal myself to the world fully, that they may reflect my lovely image fully. And when that's done, brothers and sisters, Jesus says, I can come. Notice how the Bible spells this out in Revelation chapter 10. Revelation the 10th chapter, that wonderful chapter that tells us about the origin of the Advent band. It is in Revelation, that 10th chapter, brothers and sisters, that we learn that there is a work to be finished, and that work is going to be done through a body, but that body is the church. And the Bible says in Revelation chapter 10 and verse 7, it says, but in the days of the voice of the seven angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be what? Finished. As he hath declared to his servants the prophets, there's something the Bible calls a mystery of God that needs to be finished. Now, I wonder what that mystery is. Go back to Colossians chapter 1. Scripture is the key that unlocks Scripture. In Colossians chapter 1, what is this mystery of God that needs to be finished? The Bible says in Colossians chapter 1, and notice what it says in verses 26 and 27. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, the Bible says, Even the mystery which has been hid from ages and from generations, but is now made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is what? Christ in you. The hope of glory. Brothers and sisters, the only reason Jesus has not come back yet to this earth is because he's still waiting to see himself in you and I. It is when the character of Christ, Christ Object Lessons, page 69, it is when the character of Christ is perfectly reproduced in his people, the Bible says, then Jesus will come and claim them as his own. And so, as Jesus needed a body to finish his phase of the work, Jesus says, I also need a body to finish the last phase of my work. And you and I make up that body that he wants to live out his life within us. Now, in order for Jesus to do that, he had to give us something very important, John the 8th chapter. In John the 8th chapter, you will find that the work of Christ, when he was seeking to get his church, his body, to get to the point that they will understand the work so that they may finish the work, you'll find in John the 8th chapter, Jesus spelled it out in very special language. The Bible says in John the 8th chapter in verse 31, and if you're there, please say amen. In John 8 and verse 31, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. We cannot live off of past blessings. We cannot live off of past understandings. We cannot live off of past victories. The Bible never made a promise that if you had a connection with me, that if you understood at one point my word, That's not what Jesus said. He says, those who continue in my word, those are the ones who are my disciples. How many times do we find ourselves looking back in our past Adventist history and we say things like, oh yeah, I remember I used to be on fire for Jesus. Oh yes, I remember when I used to study the word of God. Oh, I can remember when I used to spend time in prayer. Brothers and sisters, gloating over our past experiences, our past victories will never put us in the position to be God's true disciples and finish the work. Jesus says, you must continue in my word. Now, when we continue, the Bible says in verse 32, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Jesus understood the need to get the truth to the minds of the people, not to the point that they just understand it. You see, in Desire of Ages, page 309, it says, the great mistake of the Pharisees is that they thought that an intellectual understanding of the truth constituted righteousness. There are many people who spend so much time trying to understand truth, but they never love it. They don't live it. And brothers and sisters, I bring to you a very solemn thought. If we don't learn to let God's truth become the center of our hearts, our lives, and our joy, and all that we are, the truth that was designed to save us can be the same truth that will condemn us. Because James 4:17 says, To him that knows to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. And there's only one thing that'll separate man from God: sin. Only one thing. What is the point of knowing truth if we will not let it take residence in our hearts and change our lives? You know, Paul talked about this. Go to the book of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Keep your finger on John 8, but go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Paul, the apostle, talked about this. You see, the Bible already gave us a picture of many of those, unfortunately, who will be lost. But I want you to see one of the things that was interesting about the character of the people. 2 Thessalonians, the second chapter. The Bible says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul is talking about... The mystery of iniquity that was already working and it was about to be more greatly manifest eventually when Rome, of course, going from pagan to papal and so on and bringing God's people into the point where they had to go into the wilderness and so on. As Paul was prophesying about these things in the second chapter, he gets to a point in verse 7 where he says this. He says, "...for the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way." And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. Now look at how Paul gives a description of those that perish. He says in them that perish because they receive not the knowledge of the truth, They receive not the love of the truth. I want that to stick in your mind because, brothers and sisters, I'm going to bring up some things in just a few moments where we're all going to have an opportunity to search our hearts and really see, do I just know the truth or do I love it? The individuals who ultimately, Paul says, will end up falling under destruction. It didn't say that they lacked the knowledge of the truth. The problem was they did not have The love of the truth. You're going back to John 8. You'll remember in Great Controversy, page 30. There was a man who went around, Josephus the historian recorded it, where he talked about a man who paid good attention to Jesus in all of his prophetic utterances. And he listened to Jesus, and he was watching how Jesus spoke, and he knew that Jesus gave that statement in Matthew twenty-four, fifteen, When you shall see the abomination of desolation of, spoken of by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place, it'll then be time to do thus and so. And here it is that that man, he paid attention. He paid so much attention that he actually went to Israel and he started to say, listen, a voice from the east, a voice from the west. He said time is almost finished. He was showing them that soon and very soon these things that Jesus told us was going to take place is getting ready to take place. And you know what inspiration says? It says that people began to pick up darts and throw it at them, try to quiet them down. You know, people, some people don't like present truth. Some people don't like when we talk about the truth for this time and how it is designed to get us into the experience with Jesus of victory over sin. Some people don't like hearing these things. They prefer to be saved in sin rather than from sin. But here goes this man, and he's given the message. And lo and behold, it got to a point that he was put in prison. And you know what great controversy says? It says that that same man who was warning everybody about prophecy... It says that same man died in the very siege he foretold. Now, question, is it bad to die in the siege that you foretold? How many would say yes? Is it bad to die in the siege you foretold? How many of us would say no? Now, how many of you say I have no idea? (laughs) You and I, I just showed you last night the siege that's getting ready to come. The mark of the beast, that horrific Sunday law that's getting ready to pass and is going to bring persecution. Do you know it is quite possible that I may die as a martyr? Is that right? Amen. Do you know it's possible you might die as a martyr? Now, if I died as a martyr, or if you died as a martyr while we were foretelling about this siege, is that a bad thing? No. Oh, no, that's a beautiful thing. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. It's not bad that he died in the siege he foretold. What was bad was the next sentence. The next sentence said, Not one Christian died in the siege. Now that's a problem. Did he understand truth? Was he accurate on his timelines? Did he understand what was getting ready to come? Did he warn the people? So to the outside looking in, it looked like a very faithful work. But here's the question. Was he a Christian? No. It is possible to know truth. And Jesus will actually look us in the eyes and say, I never knew you. And that's why we are warned. It is not enough to know truth, but we must get to a point that we love truth. And it becomes the center of who we are in all that we do and what we believe. We're back in John the eighth chapter. Jesus says, you shall know the truth. The truth will make you free. In verse 33, they go ahead and say, they answered him, we be Abraham's seed and were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? And now Jesus clarifies. Verse 34, Jesus answered them, verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. Jesus was trying to bring across to his people's mind, you need to be made free. And the freedom that he was talking about was victory over what? Sin. Now, look at John eight thirty six. In verse 36, we find out the only one who can make us free. And it's not mother and father, brother and sister, or pastor or elder or anybody else. The Bible is clear. It says in verse 36, if the son, therefore, shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. So Christ wants to bring freedom to you and I. He wants us to know you don't have to be a slave to all the habits of life. You don't have to be a slave to all these things that so easily beset us. He says, listen, there are four words that can definitely help you get victory over sin. You want to know what they are? Love makes it easy. When you and I learn to love Jesus and his truth, we have found one of the great keys that will enable us to say no to the things that are sinful and yes to the things that are righteous. And that's not just a concept in my mind. That's just John 14, 15. Jesus already said it. If you love me, what will happen? You'll keep my commandments. If you keep the commandments, are you sinning? No, because what is sin? The breaking of the commandments. Love makes it easy. There's too many people who show up week after week to hear about Jesus, but very few who come because they love Jesus. Do you love Jesus? You know what I'm saying? That's what's key. Now, Jesus knew that I need to make the people free, but there was a process of how he did it. And I want you to see the process of how he did it. Matthew chapter 13. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus came to bring the freedom because he knows that there's no way I can have a body prepared for me that I can work in and through to finish the work until I first make them free. And in order for me to make them free, I got to start where I've always started. And I want you to see how the Bible spells it out in Matthew chapter 13. Jesus knew that his people were in bondage. Jesus knew that his people were going through struggles. In fact, before we go to Matthew 13, go to Isaiah 61. Let's go to Isaiah 61 first, then we'll go to Matthew 13. In Isaiah, the 61st chapter, look at how the Bible spells this out. In Isaiah 61, Jesus knew, I got to make the people free. Now, when Jesus came, the people wanted to be made free, but they wanted to be made free from the Roman yoke. They wanted religious liberty, but they wanted a different kind. They wanted the religious liberty that was supposed to come as the after effect. But there was a greater bondage that they were in that Christ said, I got to address that first. The title of this message is, Before You Have Religious Liberty, You Need Religious Liberty. Before you have religious liberty, you need religious liberty. Jesus was coming to a people who were in bondage. The Romans were around them. They saw themselves surrounded, and they knew that sooner or later, they're going to wipe us out. We need freedom. We can see the Roman stands around us. I showed you last night that Rome and America have joined together with spiritualism, and they have come together to launch the last act in the drama. We are surrounded, brothers and sisters. And so we also are fighting for religious freedom. But before you get religious liberty, you must have religious liberty. And Jesus understood this in Isaiah 61, where he says in verse 1, "'The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, brothers and sisters.'" Christ knew that I have come because I want to make people who are captive free. All of the Jews knew this text, but they only understood it in the larger view of religious liberty. But Jesus had something different on his mind. Notice what the Bible says now in Matthew 13. In Matthew the 13th chapter, notice what the Bible says. In Matthew chapter 13, notice what the Bible says. In verse 13, you remember Jesus was constantly teaching in parables. And it got to a point that the disciples, they wanted to know, well, why do you do this? And Jesus was going through his explanations. But I want you to notice what he says between verses 13 and 15. Watch this. It says, therefore, speak I to them in parables, because they seeing, see not, and hearing, they hear not, neither do they understand. I told you, you need to pray, Lord, give me ears to hear because there's many people who can hear but still hear not. There are many people who can see but still see not. Jesus said that this was the condition of his people when he came. Now watch this, verse 14, and in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, by hearing ye shall hear and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see and shall not perceive. For this people, verse 15, This people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted. And Jesus says, and I would heal them. Jesus knew, before I give any of you Jews religious liberty, you first need religious liberty In your mind. You need religious liberty in the way you think. You need religious liberty in the way you understand and see things. Jesus saw that as wicked as the Roman bondage was, brothers and sisters, the mental bondage that his people were under was even worse. And the reason he knew this is because he knew that they were blind to truth because they killed the truth in the name of truth. They were blind. They couldn't see. They had ears, but they couldn't hear. They could see, but they were still blind. And brothers and sisters, you know what's so sad? It was not just the Jews because John the Revelator said that, I saw people in the last days who also are suffering with a bondage, a disease that is strongholding them, and that disease is called Laodicea. And the symptom of those diseases, of that disease, is that the people will be wretched, they'll be miserable, they'll be poor, they'll be blind, and they will be naked, brothers and sisters. It was not just the Jews that were suffering with blindness, but God's people in this day and age are suffering with blindness. And brothers and sisters, have you ever wondered? Now question, when John the Revelator talked about blindness, was it a literal blindness or a spiritual blindness? So watch this. Look at what happens in Matthew 15. Because have you ever wondered, where does all of this go? Where does it all lead when someone is spiritually blind? I want you to see from the Bible how dangerous it is to be spiritually blind. Notice what the Bible says in Matthew, the 15th chapter. In Matthew chapter 15... Look at what happens when an individual is spiritually blind. The Bible says in verse Matthew 15 and verse 14, it says in Matthew 15, 14, it says, Let them alone they be blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, what will happen to them? Both shall fall where? Into the ditch. So watch this. If the blind lead the blind, then both shall fall where? into the ditch. So watch this. Is the blindness a literal blindness or a spiritual blindness? It's a spiritual blindness. So therefore, if it's a spiritual blindness, then is the ditch a literal ditch or a spiritual ditch? It must be a spiritual ditch. And I wonder what the Bible calls a spiritual ditch. Proverbs 23. In Proverbs, the 23rd chapter, what does the Bible call a spiritual ditch? It is dangerous to be blind, brothers and sisters, because if the blind lead the blind, the Bible says they both shall fall into the ditch. And I wonder what is a spiritual ditch? The Bible says in Proverbs 23 and verse 27, and if you're there, say amen. Spiritual blind leads the spiritual blind. They fall into the spiritual ditch. And what is the spiritual ditch? Verse 27, it says, for a whore is a deep ditch. A what is a deep ditch? A whore. Now, spiritual blind falls into spiritual ditch. Spiritual ditch is a spiritual whore. And I wonder, does the Bible talk about a spiritual whore? Revelation chapter 17. It's dangerous to be blind, brothers and sisters. Revelation chapter 17. In Revelation the 17th chapter, notice what the Bible says. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 17, notice what it says right there in verse 1. It says, And there came one of the seven angels which had the seven vials and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore. The judgment of what? The great whore that sitteth upon many waters with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. And notice how this horror spelled out in verse 5. It says, And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. It's dangerous to be blind. Spiritual blind falls in spiritual ditch. The spiritual ditch Is a spiritual whore, and the spiritual whore is none other than Babylon, the great whore. And that's why the prophet says in Great Controversy 608, As the storm approaches, a large class who have professed faith in the third angel's message, but who were not sanctified by obedience to the truth, will abandon their position, join ranks with the opposition, that's Babylon, and become the most bitterest enemies of their former brethren. Many people, large classes, will leave and join with the whore because even when they were in the remnant, they already had the mind of the whore. I like how Pastor Kiela Thompson said it one time where he said, many of us, we left the location of Babylon and came into the remnant, but we did not leave the condition of Babylon. This church is not Babylon. I promise you that. And I don't believe, according to the word of God, that they will ever be Babylon. But there are many people within the church that are Babylonians. And sooner or later, they're going to long so much for mother that they're going to go right back to her. For Ezekiel 16, says, as is the mother, so are her daughters. We must be mindful of what kind of mindset we had. I showed you the mindset of Jesus Christ in the beginning, didn't I? His mindset was finishing the work. And so, brothers and sisters, Jesus came to make the people free. Now, I'm going to show you examples of why Jesus or how Jesus understood that the people were subjected to mental bondage. Jesus, who was the truth, I told you, they killed the truth in the name of truth. Have you ever thought about it? When the people killed the truth, what was the reason they did it? When the people killed Jesus, why did they do it? Pilate said, you know, who do you want? You want Barabbas or you want Jesus? And who do they ask for? Barabbas. They asked for Barabbas. Why do they do that? Matthew chapter 27. You see, before you can have religious liberty, you have to have religious liberty. You have to have liberty of conscience. The Bible says in Matthew, the 27th chapter, and when you get there, please say Amen. The Bible says in Matthew 27 and verse 17, notice how the Bible spells this out. It says in Matthew 27, 17, it says, Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. When he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with that just man? For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. According to the word of God, why did they ask for Barabbas? Huh? Why did they ask? Speak loud. Envy. You say envy. Who's envy? Verse 20 says, but the who? Who? The chief priests and elders, what did they do? What's that next word? Persuaded. Persuaded. That means that they were able to control the minds of the people. They told them what to do, when to do, how to do. And these people, because they wanted an external religious liberty, but did not understand their need for the internal religious liberty, they did not even realize that they killed the only one who could have ever given them religious liberty. You know, brothers and sisters, it's a dangerous thing when we begin to follow the mind of other people. It's a dangerous thing when we become the reflector of other men's thoughts. God has never, asked, God has called us to respect people. God has called us to respect our leaders. God has called us to respect each other. But God has never asked us to let any man, regardless of their positions, to be our thoughts for us and to tell us what to do. In fact, that ideology came from Rome the doctrine that god has committed to the church the doctrine that god has committed to the church the right to control the conscience and to define and punish heresy is one of the most deeply rooted of papal errors god has never called us to try to control people's minds You know, I love when I was reading Adventist Home, and it said, even as a father, and this was important to me, even in Adventist Home, it says that we are not to force our children, it says we are to lead them to Christ. It does not matter if it's in the home, God is not a God of force. It does not matter if we're in the church, God is not a God of force. We are not to control individuals' thoughts, we are to lead, we are to guide. We are to counsel. You see, brothers and sisters, the great reason why the church was so unprepared for the first advent of Jesus Christ was because of the blindness that they were suffering with because they were reflectors of other men's thoughts and they could not think nor reason for themselves. They could not go to the word of God. And Christ knew that if my people are going to be a body prepared to finish the work, I must show them Religious liberty before they have religious liberty. And so you'll find that this was a horrible thing. In fact, go to John chapter 12. Notice how the Bible spells it out again. John the 12th chapter. Now in John the 12th chapter, the Bible spells it out again. John chapter 12. Notice what the Bible says. And when you get there, please let me know by saying amen. In John chapter 12 and verse 42, notice what the Bible says here. It says in John 12, 42, it says, Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many believed on him. Talking about Jesus. So who believed on Jesus? The chief rulers, it says. Many of the chief rulers. But look at what it says. It says, but because of the who? Pharisees, they did not confess him lest they should be put out of the synagogue. Many people allow their minds to be controlled by others. And they followed man-made concepts, man-made ideas, and man-made precepts. They don't consult the Word of God. They don't see what the Bible and Spirit of Prophecy says. And as a result of that, they find themselves slaves to other men's thoughts. And they will even deny Jesus in the process. Now, brothers and sisters, let me bring your hearts at ease. I'm fully aware of things that have transpired in this state of California. I'm fully aware of the fact that we have offshoots and people who break away from God's church and try to start up independent things and all these other things. And you, somebody may be saying, "Uh uh-oh, Brother Lemon sounds like one of them. No, brothers and sisters, everything I'm teaching is truth. But we must understand that God is not calling us to break away from this church to start up new organizations. God is not calling us to go ahead and try to get a new general conference of seven-day Adventists started up. That's not, not going to finish the work. See, when your focus is finishing the work, you will not do anything that's not designed to finish the work. And I understand that there are problems in the church. I know that there's even, yay, apostasy in the church. I know that there are challenges, but this is still God's church, brothers and sisters. And God wants to make it clear that if breaking away, starting up new organizations, if that could finish the work, then we should be there, but it can't. So, by no means am I presenting to God's people that we should become so independent in our thinking that we feel no need for church organization and all these things. Church organization was designed to be a blessing to God's people. But, like the sacrificial offerings and like the priesthood and many other things, it is possible that corruption can come within. That is possible. Today, you have many individuals whom God has called to finish the work. God has called us to share his truth with others. God has called us to go out and to minister to people. God has told us to do many things, both in the church and outside, maybe in our homes, cottage meetings, Bible studies, and the list goes on. But many a times, we're waiting for somebody else to tell us what to do. And people are dying on a regular basis, brothers and sisters. And many a times, we go to people and say, can we do this? Should we do this? Brothers and sisters, if Jesus waited for permission... If John the Baptist waited for them to have a board meeting, there would be no John the Baptist. There would be no Jesus. We must know how to walk the fine line and the balance to know that while God has called us to go out and finish the work, we must first understand that we are privileged. To have God speak to us and direct us and show us how he can give us gifts that we may go forward and do a great gospel work to finish the work. You see, brothers and sisters, go to Mark chapter 9 as we prepare to bring out some final points. In Mark, the ninth chapter, I want you to see what the Bible says. Mark chapter 9. You know, I remember one time I was working at an institute, and it was an institute where there were people who were mentally disabled, and as I was working with them, you're going to Mark 9, and as I was working with them, there was a young lady who was Jewish, and I began to walk her through Daniel chapter 9 because I wanted to help her see that Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah, and I remember that her eyes were open. Oh, brother, you should have seen it, and any of you who are sharing God's truth, you know what it looks like. And that sister's eyes started opening up, and she was saying, this is amazing. This is wonderful. Jesus is the Messiah. And she said, I'm going to share this with my rabbi. (laughs) She went to a rabbi. She came back to work the following day, and I was ready to go ahead and finish the study. And I said, sis, I said, you ready to go ahead to our next phase of the study? And she says, my rabbi has told me not to talk to you. I pleaded with her, I said, sister, please, you gotta understand, this is truth what you're learning. You remember what you felt in your heart? She said, I know, but my rabbi told me not to, and he said that I would get in trouble if I did. She was a slave. She was a slave in her conscience. She was a slave. Brothers and sisters, I remember when I was part of the New Life Baptist Church, and I remember that I was there, and the first time I heard this Advent message, and I was saying to myself, this is amazing! I was like, this is truth. Never heard of the Sabbath. Never heard of all these wonderful things. And I got so excited. I said, man, this is powerful. And I said, I'm going to my pastor. But you know what? God was so good. The elder that was assigned to me was a wise man. He said, Dwayne. He said, I'm glad you're going to your pastor. He said, but allow me to show you something before you go. He said, "Dwayne, I'm not a prophet. But I can assure you that your pastor is going to share some things with you. And I'd like to equip you so that when your pastor shows you his evidence, you'll know how to properly deal with it and think for yourself. You see, when my elder taught me 20 years ago, when he sat in the living room of my house in 10419, 214th Street, Hollis, Queens, when he sat in that living room with me, He never read the scripture and told me what it says. You know what Elder Morgan did? Elder Morgan would say, son, what is the verse saying? He made me think. Because that's the lowest activity of people today. People follow, but they don't think. So he said, son, he may take you to Colossians chapter 2. And we went through the verses, and I got it. He said, he may take you to Ephesians chapter 2. And we went through the verses, and I got it. He, took, he said, he may take you to Revelation 1.10. So he took me to that verse, and I got it. And he took me to all these different points. So now I was prepared. He said, do you understand? I said, yes, I understand. He said, go to your pastor. <laughs> I went to my pastor and brothers and sisters. At that time, I thought he was a prophet. Because the pastor said, Dwayne, that's ridiculous. Colossians chapter 2 says, (laughs) and because of the training, because as much as I, and I love my pastor now, I did love him, I respected him greatly, but God taught me that you can love a man but not let a man be your thoughts. And I went to that man and I said, well, pastor, I understand what you're saying, but What did Paul mean then when he talked about these commandments contained in ordinances that was uh, nailed to the cross? What's that? He would explain it. I said, Pastor, where in the Bible does he say that? He couldn't take me there. And one by one, it was off. And I said, Pastor, I love you, but I love truth and Jesus more. I got to follow him. And that's how I made my decision to enter into the Advent band. Brothers and sisters, I'm telling you, it's out there in this world. You're going to meet people who are slaves to other men's thoughts. They're going to talk about religious liberty in Israel. They'll talk about religious liberty in all the Middle Eastern countries. They'll talk about religious liberty here in America. But before we get religious liberty, we first need religious liberty. Liberty of conscience. John saw some people doing something that he did not approve. You're in Mark chapter 9. And in Mark the 9th chapter, the Bible says in verse 38, it says, And John answered him and saying, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name, and he followeth not us. And we did what? We forbade him. We stopped him because he followeth not us. Jesus said in verse 39, Forbid him not. For there is no man which shall do a miracle in my name that can lightly speak evil of me, for he that is not against us is for us. John was filled with this possessive position. You see, brothers and sisters, I firmly believe in church organization. I do. God told us that we needed it an in inspiration and we were told that we'll need it as we get closer to the close of probation. But at the same time, brothers and sisters, God never gave church organization to control the work. The problems that we see in the world, sometimes we face it today. I know many there was one church, brothers and sisters, the church wanted to do medical missionary training. Two of my evangelist associates, brethren who have good and regular standing in the church, they came in. They were teaching medical missionary work. The people were blessed. They were getting ready to offer a 30-day school. And some folks who were blind said, no, you cannot do it. We refuse to let you do it. What's the reason? We just prefer to do it ourselves. Shut down the whole thing. And you know what everybody said? Amen. You know why? Because they said, if we rebel, we'll get put out of the synagogue. There are people today. You know, there's one thing I learned by a man who was a first-day evangelist, and he said it many years ago. And I want you to think about this. Before you complain about what's happening in your church, before you complain about what's happening in your schools or whatever else you're in, and you see the various challenges that are taking place, I want you to remember this statement and don't you ever forget it. Conduct permitted is conduct taught. You think on that. Conduct permitted is conduct Taught. If you permit people to do it and you sit back in quietude and think that remaining neutral is godly, it is as if you are teaching them to do it. You created the beast, you created the monster, you and I created these challenges because we see truth and we love to whisper to wife and husband and friend, but we will not stand up with the love of the shepherd and say, This is wrong, this is not right. And according to the word of God, we need reformation. Even Elder Ted Wilson, that man whom God voted, you know heaven voted him. I believe heaven put the vote. I believe that angels went right beside all those people and said, say Ted Wilson. (laughs) And when that man got up, he said very clearly, he said, hold your leaders accountable. You know how many people are afraid to do that? They think, oh, oh that means I'm an offshoot. Brothers and sisters, that's ridiculous. When you love people, you hold them accountable. What if Nathan would have said, uh-oh, Lord, if I rebuke David, I'll be an offshoot? What if Nathan would have said that? You see, we keep seeing problems in the church. We keep seeing all these things, but what do we do? We get in our little corners, in many respects, brothers and sisters, I have to say it, like cowards. And we won't go to the people in the love of Jesus and say, What's being done is wrong. And it is my Christian responsibility to hold you accountable and to let you be the servant of God that you're being paid to be. We need the love of the shepherd. We really need the love of the shepherd. You see, as John tried to close out that thing and Jesus had to rebuke him, I want you to see what inspiration says. Watch this. It says, what can I say to arouse our churches? What can I say to those who have acted a prominent part in the proclamation of the last message? The Lord is coming, should be the testimony born, not only by the lips, but by the life and character. But many to whom God has given light and knowledge, talents of influence and means are men who do not love the truth. I told you, you got to love the truth. It says, and do not practice it. They have drunk so deeply from the intoxicating cup of selfishness and worldliness that they have become drunken with the cares of this life. Brethren, if you continue to be as idle, as worldly, as selfish as you have been, God will surely pass you by. And take those who are less self-caring, less ambitious for worldly honor, and who will not hesitate to go, as did their master without the camp, bearing the reproach. The work will be given to those who will take it, those who prize it, who weave its principles into their everyday experience. God will choose humble men who are seeking to glorify his name and advance his cause rather than to honor and advance themselves. He will raise up men who have not so much worldly wisdom, but who are connected with him and who will seek strength and counsel from above. Some of our leading men are inclined to indulge the spirit manifested by the apostle John when he said, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name, and we forbade him because he followeth not with us. Organization and discipline are essential. Can you say amen to that? But there is now very great danger of a departure from the simplicity of the gospel of Christ. What we need is less dependence upon mere form and ceremony and far more of the power of true godliness. If their life and character are exemplary. These are the things you look at before someone is labeled an offshoot, before someone is labeled this, that, and the other, and troublemakers, and everything we say. If their lives are exemplary, let all work who will in any capacity, although they may not conform exactly to your methods, not a word should be spoken to condemn or discourage them, volume 5, 461. This work could be finished very quickly, brothers and sisters if we would begin to understand this. When a laborer is set in a certain portion of the Lord's vineyard, his work is given him as a faithful laborer together with God to work that vineyard. He is not to wait to be told at every point by human minds what he must do. It says, but plan his work to labor wherever he is needed. God has given you brain power to use. Liberty of conscience. The wants of the believers and the necessities of unbelievers are to be carefully studied and your labors are to meet their necessities. You are to inquire to God and not of any living man what you shall do. You are a servant of the living God and not a servant of any man. You cannot do the work of God intelligently. And be the shadow of another man's thoughts and directions. You are under God. Evangelism 650. Brothers and sisters, I am not promoting revolution. I am not promoting that people are to get up and say, I don't care what anybody says. I just do what I want. No, brothers and sisters, that's not what I'm teaching. What I'm teaching is the balance that many a times the work of the gospel is being stunted. The work of the gospel is not being finished. Jesus is not able to work in and through the body as he should because we keep waiting for somebody else to tell us what to do. And then many a times when they told us what to do, many a times there's no Bible or spirit of prophecy to support it, and we just say, yes, sir. And many a times it's because we're afraid we'll get put out. Brothers and sisters, when will the love of Jesus take such deep-rooted residence in your heart? That when you know God has spoken to you. Many a times I would go to my own leadership and I would tell them, I am telling you for information. In other words, I would start my point by telling them, I am letting you know this for information. In other words, I'm not asking for your permission. God has already told me to do this, but because we want unity, I am letting you know for information. We are starting an evangelistic school in Atlanta, Georgia. The Lord gave us land. We are now getting a school started, and we're going to teach the people the threefold work of gospel ministry, medical missionary work, and the publishing work. We welcome you to come join us at any time. You get it? I'm not going for permission. God has already given me permission. But we should do all that we can to cooperate with each other and not act. Because remember, Jesus also said, I never did anything in secret. You remember that? So there's a balance. We're not just saying, I don't care about you and I do what I want. No, brothers and sisters, that's not the spirit of Christ. And when we see individuals that are doing wrong, yes, we're called to correct them in the spirit of Christ. It says in Steps to Christ, page 12, that Jesus never was rude to any man. You and I have no license to be rude to any man. It says Jesus was always tactful. You and I should always be tactful. And when Jesus rebuked, she said tears was in his voice. When we rebuke, we should have a heart that wants to win the very person we're talking to. And not to just simply put them in hell. We need the love of the shepherd. And so, brothers and sisters... My point is very simple. We saw last night that religious liberty, our religious liberties have been terribly threatened. Laws and programs and everything have been put together. We are surrounded, brothers and sisters. Do you realize that? We are literally surrounded. Only Jesus can deliver us from the problems we are in right now. Only Jesus. But at the same time, while we need that religious liberty, Christ says, first, you need this religious liberty. You need liberty of conscience. You and I need to stop reflecting other men's thoughts. We need to stop following other men's directions and deeming them as God. And brothers and sisters, the worst thing you can do to a leader is to let them lead and not hold them accountable because we're flesh. I'm a leader in God's church. I'm an ordained elder. I'm a leader. And I don't want anybody to just do what I say because Brother Lemon said it because that's dangerous for me because I have a sinful nature that's real easy to say, look at this great Babylon I built. I built. You want to hold me accountable for my soul salvation. Are you understanding? I'm serious. I pray that this thought will take possessions of yours in my mind so that even when we deal with our brethren, that we will understand it is my Christian duty filled with the love of the shepherd to approach my brother and my sister regardless of whatever position they may hold and hold them accountable. And this is not just for church. This could happen in the home. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, the Bible says. There are times that the leaders of the home may tell a child to tell a lie. There are times leaders in the home may tell a child to go ahead and do that which is wrong. At that time, the child needs to correct the leader. If they can, they need to know how to do it in the spirit of Christ. They need to know how to do it with meekness and humility. But brothers and sisters, I don't want you to think that this is tunnel vision, only a rule for the church. This goes into the business place. This principle goes in the church. This principle is in the home. Do not reflect other men's thoughts because no man's mind will get you in heaven except the mind of Jesus. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And so, if this morning you've realized, my my appeals are very specific. I don't do it for the point of exposure. I really don't. But sometimes people are strengthened by the response and stand of others. I can remember a time in my life where I quoted more leaders and pastors and evangelists of influence and so on more than I quoted the words of Jesus. Jesus. I have relatives that will tell me what their bishops say. I have relatives that will tell me what their pastors have said. But they don't tell me what the Bible says. But I know Seventh-day Adventists that will tell us what the church manual says before they go to the church manual, the Bible. I'm not saying I'm against church manuals, but I'm against any usage of anything that is put before the Word of God. Are you following me, brothers and sisters? I'm talking to you from my heart. I don't know if this will get posted on AudioVerse, but I'll tell you this. It should be. I'll tell you this. It's time we deal with these issues because as I travel throughout the world, everybody's complaining in corners and nothing's changing because we don't have the love of the Shepherd to go to the ones that really can effect change. We're scared. We quote all these promises of the Bible and everything else, but we're scared to death to just go to our brethren and hold them accountable and say, you can't do this. Things have to change. What is the point of saying that we need Everybody wants to slap five with Ted Wilson. Oh, yes, Ted Wilson, we need revival and reformation. I remember I was in Romania sitting down with the conference president and his staff at the Southern Transylvania Conference, and we sat down there. I said, President, do you believe we need a revival and reformation? He said, yes, I do. I said, then you understand that our churches are dead. Now, I've learned that ministers should never say anything unless inspiration says it first. I already had the quote in my pocket of first elected messages where she said that the principles of revival need to come to God's church because the churches are dead. So I said, you understand that. He looked, he was fine, but some of his staff looked a little startled. They were like, what? I said, by the very, de- you're a bunch of doctors in here, aren't you? It says, by, by the very definition of the word revival, it means that something has either stopped breathing or they are losing their breathing. That's why you have to revive someone. They're either dead or dying. And then after you resuscitate them and revive them, what's the next thing you got to do? You have to reform. You got to change things. This school, and I'm not talking about this. I'm talking about where many of you are from, Loma Linda. Loma Linda, our several churches, our conferences, our sanitariums all of the different organizations that are under the seven-day Adventist umbrella, brothers and sisters, if there is no reformation of how we do things, the revival was fake. It wasn't real. It wasn't genuine. True revival always leads to true reformation. How do we know? Jesus went to the woman who was about to be stoned to death. She's laying there on the ground. She's about to be stoned to death. And as she's about to be stoned to death, all of a sudden, here it is that she's waiting to feel the rocks hit her. And instead of feeling the rocks hit her, as Jesus pointed out everybody's hypocrisy and they were gone, Jesus, the rock, touched her. Told her to rise. He says, where are those who condemned you? He said, they're all gone. No man has condemned me. Jesus said, neither do I. Right there, revival. Until Jesus said that wonderful statement, neither do I. She was under the death sentence. As far as she was concerned, I'm dead. I'm just waiting to feel the pain. And Jesus, who is life, said, neither do I, boom, right there, revival. I've been pardoned. I've been forgiven. I've been quickened. But did Jesus finish with that? After Jesus brought that revival message, he then said, sin no more, reformation. Jesus has always been about revival and reformation. Stop doing the things that put you in the position that you needed to be revived. Brothers and sisters, many of us have been the slaves to other men's thoughts and directions. I know what I'm talking about. I have ministers who will bring me to their church to say what they will not say. And they told me that. They said, I can't say it but you can. Why? Because I'm self-supporting. My boss is God and he's a fair boss. They say, you can say it, but I can't. My heart breaks when I say that, but you know what? I say, pastor, step aside. If you won't do it, I'll do it. And I won't do it because I'm big, bad, and bold. No, brothers and sisters, I will do it because the love of Christ compels you. That's why you do it. That's why you do it. The love of Christ compels you. And so, brothers and sisters, my question is very simple. If you know today, I've given out religious liberty books, I've talked about religious liberty. I might even be a religious liberty leader. But here it is, in the midst of all this religious liberty actions, you realize that you didn't have religious liberty. your mind. You were the servant of someone else's thoughts. You were the servant of someone else's direction. And today you're willing to take a stand for Jesus and say, you know what? I crown Jesus as my king, and I will no longer be the reflector of another man's thoughts. I will no longer be the reflector of another person's directions. I will follow what God tells me to do. I will respect my leaders I will work with the organization as long as they're going in the path as truth and righteousness. No problem. But my walk with Jesus is mine. It's personal. And I will no longer reflect another man's thoughts. So you know you've been reflecting someone else's thoughts. You know you've been reflecting someone else's directions. But today, you're saying by the grace of God, I will follow thee wheresoever thou may lead. I want to invite you to stand to your feet with me. I remember when I did. I remember when I did, but no more, no more, no more, no more. This afternoon, we're going to talk about the three workers that God is going to work through to finish this work. We look forward to seeing each and every one of you there at three o'clock. May God continue to keep us faithful. May we walk in the footsteps of the master. And as we heard last night, enter within that veil, for that is our place of safety. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that before you'll give us true, or rather before you'll give us religious liberty, you'll first give us true religious liberty. And you've given it to us today. We praise you and thank you, dear God, that you have blessed us to hear your voice speak so profoundly to our hearts. Forgive us for reflecting other men's thoughts and following other men's directions. May you please give us your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray. Do that for us which we cannot do for ourselves. And we commit to that wonderful song, Hymn 623, that says, I will follow thee, my Savior, wheresoever thy lot may be. And though all men should forsake thee, by thy grace, I will follow thee. Abide with us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. This message is produced by PTH Ministries. Our mission is to spread the three angels' messages through preaching and teaching the Seventh-day Adventist message and to integrate healing through medical missionary work in declaring the gospel. For more information on our ministry and the resources we provide, please log on to our website at www.pthministries.com. That's www.pthministries.com. Or you can call us at 770-274-9537. That's 770-274-9537. May we do our part to meet the needs of humanity through the everlasting gospel and hasten Christ's return. Maranatha.